When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away, and will bring you back safely. My husband loves fish, and I am fully supportive of his interest. The first tank we got was a 50-gallon saltwater tank, and soon the little underwater garden was growing. But the fish that came to live in the saltwater were flighty, quick, and uninterested in interacting with me as I would sit and watch them. This year we got another big tank that we filled with fresh water, and in it we put a phoenix tail lion head goldfish. He looks a bit daffy and runs into the glass quite often, but he's sweet and likes to swim slowly and will come to the glass when I come by. One evening, I was sitting in the chair next to his tank and I casually said out loud, It'd be nice if you were a fish that granted wishes. When he bubbled back, Someday I will be. The first teller for this episode is Ed Stivender. Ed has been telling stories since 1977, and I first heard him tell at the Timpanoga Storytelling Festival and was enchanted. Through his storytelling and music, he's gone around the world, and whether he's telling with a grand symphony or to a group of children, he is a delightful and clever teller. This is him telling Golden-Headed Fish. Once upon a time in the land of Egypt, there was a king who had gone blind from a grave illness. Of course, he was very unhappy, and he grew even more unhappy as the months passed, and none of the doctors in his land could do anything to cure him. The poor man grew weak and thin from misery, and everyone thought he was going to die, and his son, the prince, his only son, thought he was going to die as well. So great, therefore, was the rejoicing when a stranger arrived in a boat down the Nile River, and when he announced that he was a court physician from a faraway realm, and that he would look at the king to see if he could do anything to cure him. And so he was immediately entered into the king's presence. And after a few moments of careful observation, he declared that although the case was very serious, it was not quite impossible. There exists in the middle of the great sea a golden-headed fish. If you can manage to catch this fish and bring him to me, I will make an ointment from his blood which will restore your sight. For one hundred days I will remain here. And if at the end of that hundred days the fish is still uncaught, I must return to my own land. The next day, the prince set out in quest of the golden-headed fish, bringing with him a hundred men, each man carrying a net. There was quite a fleet of boats down at the harbor, and in these they sailed out to the middle of the great sea and began to work. For three months they labored diligently from dawn until dusk. And then, at the end of the three months, they had caught great multitudes of fishes, but not one of them had a golden head. 
It is useless now, said the prince on the last night. Even if we find the fish tonight, by the time we arrive back in Egypt, the doctor will have returned to his own king. But I will go out again and cast the net myself. And so it was that at the very moment when the hundred days were up, he drew in the net, and there was the golden-headed fish entangled in its meshes. Success has come, but as often happens, it is too late, said the prince, who had studied in the schools of philosophy. (laughs) Still, take the fish and put him in that vessel full of water. We will take it back to the king to show that we did our best. But as he approached, the fish looked up at him with such piteous eyes that he could not make up his mind to kill it. For he knew that although the doctors in his own realm did not know the secret of the ointment, they would do whatever they could to extract something from the fish's blood. And so he took the prize of so much labor and threw it back into the great sea and then turned back to go back to the Egyptian capital. When he arrived at the palace, he found the king in a high fever from great disappointment, and he did not believe the story that his son told him. Your head shall pay for it! Your head shall pay for it! And he commanded the courtiers to summon the royal executioner to come at once to the palace. But of course, someone went to the queen and told her of the king's order, And she put common clothes on her son, filled his pockets full of gold, and set him aboard a ship, leaving that night for a far land. She said, take this gold, you will need it in your travels. Your father will repent someday, and when he does, he will be glad to know that you are still alive. Now, one bit of advice I have for you. Do not take anyone into your service who wishes to be paid at the end of every month. This seemed like strange advice. But as his mother had shown herself to be wise in many other matters, the prince promised obedience. And so he traveled on the ship. And at the end of a few weeks, he came to an island of which his mother had spoken. It was a beautiful island with hills and trees and flowers and multitudes of beautiful houses set in gardens. He lost no time in buying one of the most beautiful of the houses. What a wonderful island this is. And then the servants came to him, offering their services. He examined each one very carefully, asking them questions. And when he asked the critical question, how they would be paid, each of the servants said, at the end of every month. And when they said this, he dismissed them without another word. By and by, there came one morning an Arab who prayed that he would be taken into service. The prince asked him the questions, and when he asked, how will you be paid? The Arab said, I do not want money. At the end of a year, you can see what my services have been worth to you, and you can pay me any way you want. And so he was hired on the spot. Now, It would seem very strange to anyone who saw the part of the island where the prince had landed to see the rest of the island because the rest of the island was a complete desert owing to the ravages of a terrible monster who came up out of the sea and devoured all the crops and cattle. 
Soldiers had been sent out in bands by the governor of the island, but every time the monster came out, all of the soldiers were asleep somehow. In vain were they punished severely, because the next time the same thing would happen. And so heralds were sent throughout the island, telling of a great reward which would be given to anyone who could find the monster and kill it. As soon as the Arab heard the news, he went to the governor of the island and said, if my master can destroy this monster, what reward would you give him? Well, I would give him my daughter's hand in marriage and anything else that he would require. It will be done. And afar off, there were cheers. (laughs) Because the monster was going to be killed. (laughs) And so, they had a contract drawn up, which each of them signed. That night, the Arab went down to the beach to lie in wait for the monster. Before he set out, he rubbed himself all over with an oil that made his skin smart so badly that there was no danger of him falling asleep, as the soldiers had done. He hid himself behind a large rock and waited. By and by, a swell seemed to come up over the great sea, and in a few moments, a hideous monster, half animal, half bird, half serpent, A monster and a half (laughs) came out and stood noiselessly on the rocks as began to make its furtive way up toward the crops. The Arab was waiting for it, and he took his dagger and stabbed behind the ear. And the monster gave a great cry and rolled over dead with its feet in the sea. The Arab waited to be sure that there was no more life left in his enemy, And as the body stayed still for a long time, he finally came out and cut off the ears of the beast and took it back to his master and said, Go, say it is you who have killed the beast and no one else. No, but it was you who slew the beast and not I. Never mind, said the Arab. Do as I say. I have reason for it. Where I come from, what a servant does in the name of his master, the master does himself. And so, although the prince did not want to take credit for something he had never done, he took the ears to the governor, who was overjoyed, and offered the prince his daughter's hand in marriage that very day. But the prince said, no, all he required was a ship to take him to sail the sea. And so it was arranged. And when the Arab and the prince embarked on the ship, they found the hold piled up high with jewels and precious diamonds and pearls. And off they sailed, and they sailed, and they sailed, and they sailed until they came to a great country. The Arab left his master on board the ship and went into the town to see what kind of place it was. He returned a few hours later saying that it was a wonderful place and that the princess, the daughter of the king of this land, is the most beautiful princess in the whole world, and you would do well to marry her. Well, the prince was nothing loath, and he took the advice, and taking some of the jewels, some of the finest necklaces from the hold, he went, riding a magnificent white horse which the Arab had purchased for him, went to the place where the king was, followed by his faithful servant. He was immediately led into his presence, and laying down the necklaces on the foot of the throne, he looked up and saw the king and the beautiful daughter And she was, in fact, beautiful, and she smiled, but there was a sadness in her eyes. And the prince prayed that the 
king would give him his daughter's hand in marriage. The king was silent, and finally he spoke. If you wish to marry my daughter, I will give you permission, but first I must tell you that she has already gone through the wedding ceremony with 100 young men, <laughs> not one of whom lived 10 hours after. So think while there is still time. <laughs> and the prince did think. <laughs> And he was so frightened that he almost left without another word. He was about to withdraw his proposal when the Arab whispered in his ear, Do not fear. Take her. And so the prince said, Well, the luck will certainly change sometime. And who would not give his head for a hand of a, such a peerless princess? And the princess smiled, but there was a sadness in her eye. And so the king commanded that the marriage take place at once. And so... After the wedding, the couple went to their own chambers to sup. It was the custom in that country. It was a wonderful, beautiful night, and the moon was very bright. And he walked over toward the window, and his eyes fell upon a silken burial shroud with his name embroidered in gold, <laughs> laid out upon a chest. The shock of this discovery dismayed him, and he turned his head away, and then his glance fell on some men working outside the window, digging a hole. <laughs> he walked over and thought, what a strange hour to be working like this and such a strange shape for a hole so long and narrow. It looks almost like, yes, it is. It is a grave. It is my grave. Astonished by this discovery, he stood speechless, unable to move, when out of the mouth of the princess darted a small black snake that began to wriggle toward him. But the Arab was ready for such a thing. He took the knife, cut off the head of the snake. The prince looked at his bride, and now her smile had no sadness, nor was there any sadness in the rest of that wedding night. In the morning, when he went to see his new father-in-law, the king was rather surprised to see this man. <laughs> And he said, you? Yes, of course. Why not I? Said the prince, who decided not to say anything about what had happened the night before. Uh, why not I? I told you that the luck would change sometime. Uh, but I've come to ask if you would be so kind as to have the gardeners fill up the large hole outside my window. It rather spoils the view. Yes, of course. Uh, is there anything else? No, no, that, that's all. And so it was. After the head of the snake was cut off, the spell, or whatever it was, was taken off the princess, and she lived happily with her husband. Their days were spent merrily hunting in the woods or sailing in the broad river that went by the palace. When night fell, she would sing to him from her harp, and he would tell her stories of his own land. And so time went by, and one day a man in strange garb announced that he was a messenger from the queen of Egypt, and proclaimed the prince king in succession of his father who had died. Her majesty requests that you set off at once for home and with your bride also, for the, the affairs of the kingdom are somewhat in disarray. And so it was. 
He went to his father-in-law and told his father-in-law the story. His father-in-law was overjoyed that the man his daughter had married was not a simple governor of a province, but a king of a powerful country. And so he demanded that a ship be made ready. And at the end of the week, he went down to say goodbye to the couple, and the couple swam around a little bit, and then they got back on the ship, and they sailed. They swam, and they sailed. First they swam, and then they sailed. And while they were sailing, they didn't swim because they were in a hurry. As I better be. And so they went, and they went to, and the queen, although she was full of grief for the death of her husband, was overjoyed at her son's return and commanded that all kinds of splendid stuffs be hung in the palace to do honor to the bride. And so it was that he was a busy man. The people expected great things from their new sovereign because they had suffered mightily under the reign of the old sick one. And every day, crowds presented themselves with petitions which they hoped the king would grant. And he was quite happy. One evening, the Arab came to him and begged permission to return to his own home. Leave me? Do you really wish to leave me? No, I do not wish to leave you, master, but I have received a summons, and I must obey it. The king was quiet for a moment, full of grief at the loss of this servant. And finally he said, well, I must not keep you. That would be a poor return for all the good you have done for me. Everything I have is yours. Take what you will, for without you, I would long ago have been dead. And without you... I would long ago have been dead, for you see, my friend, I am the golden-headed fish. The fairy tale sponsor for this episode is Little Mermaid Swimming School. The Little Mermaid has returned to the ocean to share her gift of song and swimming. At the Little Mermaid Swimming School, they offer classes for the whole family. Let your little ones splish splash while learning how to swim and float safely. Teach your teens to swim longer distances so they're safe while diving. And enroll the sailor in the family to learn how to safely insert wax into the ears to block out a siren's call and to do water rescue so they can help their friends who didn't bring enough wax to stop the sound. Each adult class also offers one opportunity to be safely tied to a mast and sailed past the rocks while the sirens sing, so you never wonder what you might be missing. Little Mermaid Swimming School, a whole new world of water. This episode is also brought to you by the new Patreon supporter, Marilee. Now, Marilee was supposed to hear her fairy tale gift in the last episode, but one thing led to another and it didn't make it in. But Simon didn't forget! Here he is with your gift. Oh, and Mary Lee, I forgot to mention. Your fairy tale gift is that you don't have to run anywhere. You've got a set of fairy wings, of course, so you can fly wherever you like. <laughs> Mary Lee is also a generous supporter of storytelling, which is pretty cool. Be like Marilee and become a patron for as little as $4 a month while getting sweet perks and rewards. It would be pretty cool. A big thank you to all the patrons who support this podcast. You are the honey in our fresh peppermint tea. A fish. A fish spoke to me. 
And the silliest thing I could do would be to respond, what? So I had to pretend this was a very normal conversation. So I blinked slowly and responded, well, that sure is interesting. We had no idea you were wishing, fish. The fish looked at me with wide eyes, which is normal because fish don't really blink. I'm not a wishing fish now, but someday I will be. For now, I'm just a very lucky fish to anyone who treats me right. Then he turned and swam into the other side of the tank and ran into his reflection. I'm really not sure if this fish will grow up to be a fish that grants wishes. These fish can live up to 20 years, so perhaps in five years, I will see if he's up to giving a wish, but I do know he's adding a little bit of luck. When the latest rainstorm came through, none of our garden was damaged by the hail, and I whispered, thanks, and dropped a little extra food in his tank, and I swear, he winked at me. The second teller for this episode is Heather Forrest. Heather Forrest's unique minstrel style of storytelling blends original music, folk, guitar, poetry, and prose, and sung and spoken word. She has toured her repertoire of world folktales for the past 30 years to theaters, major storytelling festivals, and conferences throughout the United States and abroad. Her tales are, more often than not, a lovely combination of music and spoken word. We are so pleased to have her telling Keeping the Gold. was a miser who loved gold so much he'd hold it and keep it to count and to touch it never was given it never was spent just to keep it kept him content oh keeping the gold kept him content it never was given it never was lent Keeping the gold, happiness meant counting gold that was never spent. The miser thought, hmm, if I melt all of my golden coins into a giant golden boulder, it will be easier to count my money. And so he melted his coins and made a giant golden bowl. He rolled it into his field and buried it in a hole. Every afternoon he would dig it up, look at it, and then cover it over again with soil. One day a thief watched him at his task, and the next day, before the miser arrived with his shovel, the thief dug up the golden boulder, rolled it away, and put a large stone in its place. When the miser came along and discovered the switch, oh, he wailed and moaned. The thief, still hiding in the shadows, heard the miser crying and felt so sorry for him. He pretended to be an innocent passerby. He approached the miser and asked, Excuse me, sir, but what is the matter? The miser sobbed his whole tale. The thief replied, What's the difference? You can go out each day and 
can dig up this stone You can keep it and count it and call it your own You can be so content, you can have it to hold Just pretend that this stone's made of gold Keeping the gold kept you content But it never was given, it never was spent That golden boulder might as well have been stone For you never used it while you called it your own Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Ed Stivender at edstivender.com and Heather Forrest at heatherforrest.com. Tell them you love stories and you want to hear more. If you have questions or comments for the podcast, send them to storystorypodcast at gmail.com. If you send us an email, let me know the favorite story you've heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. For those of you who were listening closely and wondering what Brandy said when Jonah asked her that special question last week, well, she said yes. May their lives together be as magical as the tales we tell on the podcast. And me, Simon, and Isabel are so honored that we were invited to be part of that special event. The inspiration behind the fairy tale sponsor was my niece's swim class. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was the adorable Daffy Fish that is now a part of our family. This podcast is made possible by patrons and listeners like you. Consider becoming a patron or joining the mailing list to get podcast goodies or writing a review on Apple Podcasts, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the show. You'll hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary-Kate opened up the door and there on the doorstep wrapped in his own blanket... And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. And if you listen really closely, you can even hear the festive music from the royal.